0: Welcome to Podsgewi. I'm Josh Smith,
1: and I'm Mike Graham.
0: Mike, we got a lot to get into this week, as usual. But you wanted to take a little time at the top of the show today to kind of air some grievances, like your Frank Costanza during Festivus. So, what do you got? What do you want to talk about? The floor is yours,
1: pal. I got a problem with a lot of you people, and you're going to hear about <laughs> it now. So we we're on Twitter yesterday, and uh, it all started with Bob Irving, who posted this: A Montreal billionaire just bought the Montreal Alouettes, but the CFL's TV partner. TSN led Sports Center with the Chicago Bears trading their first round pick. Then did NBA, hockey, soccer, golf. Bearing a huge CFL story. Twenty three minutes into the show. Great partner, eh? Okay, so that's what started this uh, this off yesterday. And then Dustin Nielsen replied, "Don't worry about it, Dave. I'm sure there are many." Oh, this. Well, Dave Naylor quote tweeted the uh, uh, Bob Irving's tweet, and Dustin Nielsen responded to it saying, "Don't worry about it, Dave. I'm sure there are many other sports networks ready to cover." The entire cost of CFL salaries and then some every season. Laughing emojis. And this response is just kind of is maddening to me because it just shows that TSN and TSN employees have this idea that, you know, no one else is interested in this league. So why should we put full effort into covering it or full effort into TV production or anything like that? It's just a flippant comment. Uh, um, about a league that should be really important to TSN. Uh, TSN still has regional NHL games, which I'm sure are very important to them. Um, the NFL is very important to them. But in the summer, like, CFL is basically the only thing they have, and the CFL is one of the highest-rated sporting events that they carry. So to have this flippant attitude towards it, like, oh, we don't really have to try because no one else gives a shit. And, and, then, and then later on, someone like... Davis Sanchez piled on. He's uh, he's like, nah, I'm with you guys. Uh, It's the takes you guys are responding to that I find comical. We responded, it's comical that we want a better television product. And he responded, it's comical folks complain about the only people that seem to give a shit at all. Wake up. Numerous TSN employees are telling us no one gives a shit about the CFL. And that's just the wrong attitude to have. It's just maddening to me that they take advantage of this product. Yes, the CFL is not the NFL. It's not the NBA. It's not the NHL. um, It's not Major League Baseball. It's not a global product. But it's a very important television product to TSN in Canada, and they should treat it as such. How do you feel about this, Josh? I think it's kind of interesting that this popped up uh,
0: about 10 days after you and I had our conversation, you brought up all the reasons that TSN, the things TSN should change about their presentation. Does this not tell you exactly why things haven't changed? Cause if these are the public faces, this is the thing. These are the public faces. Dave Naylor's the insider. Dustin Nielsen is a play by play guy. Sanchez is on the panel. These are public faces of this product. And there is demeaning to, too controversial a word to use here. Cause that's seems what they're doing. It's like you said, they're saying no one cares mm-hmm. if no one cares. That's why they don't put in any effort. That's why the panel has been lackluster ever since pretty much Chris Schultz left. I mean, I know, I know Chris Schultz passed away, but before that he was in and out, I'm assuming that mm-hmm. had to do maybe health reasons or family reasons, whatever the issue was. But I felt a, a sharp decline. Once Chris Schultz stopped being there every single week, the sort the commentary on the panel got goofier, and I understand that they're yes. trying to mimic what the NBA on TNT does with Shaq and and Barkley, and we talked about all this last week. But it 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 does bother me in a way that they they treat this product, and it also bothers me to see some of the comments from from fans like why why should T, why should TSN lead with the CFL, and like I saw some people comment like to, on Bob Irving's tweet. Like, what do you expect it to be the lead story? No, no one expects the the, the the to be the lead story, but it it should have been one of the top three, in my opinion. Like, yeah, the Chicago Bears traded the first overall pick. I get that that's a that's a big thing, but the ownership of one of the teams got into the hands of a billionaire, one of the few billionaires that we have in this country. That's big news, as far as as I'm concerned. And the guy that owns the team, we're going to talk about the ownership things in a second. He owns a rival sports network. Maybe they don't want to promote him and from you know what I mean. Like there's all of this like nefarious stuff behind the scenes too as well when it comes to this, right? Like he owns a rival network. Do we really want to give major airtime to someone who owns someone that's you know what I mean? Like not necessarily trying to put us out of business, but you know what I mean. Like is is in competition with us. But at the same time, TSN has an asset in this. They are the lone provider of CFL content right now like media, like obviously, you know, three down nation, us, all the podcasts out there, like there's other content drivers out, but like licensed CFL content, it's, it's TSN. They, they own the rights to everything and they treat it as an afterthought. And in a way you understand it because it's, it's, Oh, the CFL, it's not big time. But if you don't treat it like big time, it's kind of the chicken and the egg thing, right? Like they don't treat it as important. So people don't look at it as important, Mm -hmm. but they don't treat it as important because people don't look at it. You know what I mean? Like people don't see it as a big deal because TSN doesn't treat it like a big deal, but TSN doesn't treat it like a big deal because people don't see it as a big deal. It's like at some point, someone's got to step up at at TSN and make the CFL a priority. And then maybe more eyeballs will come to the product. Like it it, it just feels like it's a, it's a defeatist attitude And, and to see the guys say these things that's disappointing That's disappointing as a fan, as someone who's watched this league for 30 plus years, it's very disappointing to see that that's how it's treated by the people who are purport that that pay to care about the the league. They Mm -hmm. care so little about it. It, It's just very disappointing to see.
1: Yeah. It's like a speculation that I've had for a long time that there's no other parties out there. that are interested in the CFL. So TSN doesn't really give its full effort towards it. And I think they're right on that. I don't think Sportsnet is interested, and I don't think uh, streaming service is interested. Um, and if you did, it's maybe maybe like a a place like The Zone or Crave, but Crave is owned by Bell, so that doesn't make mm-hmm. any sense. Why the fuck would they be interested? Oh, excuse my language. Mikey's um, <laughs> yeah, like, angry. Yeah, like The Zone, uh, if you put on a streaming service, the the, the sports networks in Canada, are going to bury the CFL. No one is going to talk about the CFL then. So uh, the CFL is in a in a tough spot. I hope they can manage to drum up some interest in their product from other places, like m- maybe a Sportsnet. I don't. I don't even know who else. Like in the TV landscape in Canada, I don't even know who else would be interested. But um, you know, it's just unfortunate that it, it is that way, and it well, can there, be taken advantage interest- of that way. Right. There is
0: there is an interesting wrinkle now with the guy that owns the Alouettes and French language rights, and maybe that's something. Well, again, we'll, we maybe we'll get into that a little bit. We're going to talk about, but can I give you my right. CFL and TSN conspiracy theory? And it, again, yes. I don't necessarily believe this, but when all this has happened, this kind of came to my mind, and I want to throw it out to you and see what you think. Has T? This is the conspiracy theory. The TSN has been purposely, purposefully doing nothing with the CFL product in order to keep its value low. So that the league itself feels, well, we have to re-up with TSN because no one else cares about us. Because like TSN needs the CFL for those summer months. Like you brought it up, they have nothing else. They don't carry Blue Jays games anymore. Those are all on Sportsnet. Once the NBA ends in June and before the NFL begins in September, it's kind of a barren wasteland for sports on like live sports. They have MLS and even that I don't even think they have anymore. I think MLS is now on, I think it's on Apple. I think Apple tv bought the rights mls i don't even think tsn has mls rights anymore they don't they don't have anything but my, my conspiracy theory is that they're doing nothing with it so that no other network look like they look at it and go well this is low budget and not worth our time and they, they see ratings are okay but not like i mean for canada they're pretty good but you know what i mean like it's not like they're pulling in a million. Oh, for million america articles. they're pretty good i mean yeah i mean but yeah for, look at for, the for...
1: nhl no, you're, you're It's right, amazing you're right. to me. Uh, I'm going to go like a little uh, sideways here, but it's amazing to me that the NHL and the MLS can get these big deals in the States with having per game. And I know they have more games, so it bounces out kind of like in their favor, but per game they have less people Wait. watching in the States than we do in Canada, watching the CFL. It's amazing to me. It just shows how valuable teams in the States are. If you have teams in the States, you don't need people watching. You just need teams in the states, and you need them to be you know year to year. They can't be folding and all that crap. so so the thing is, like, with the XFL and all these um, uh, football leagues, if they can sustain for a couple years, they will probably get massive TV deals. So if they can keep or keep around and lose millions of dollars for the first couple of years, they're getting better ratings than the MLS and the NHL. They will get a massive TV deal. So we're in Canada. We're screwed. That's that's basically it. We're not going to get we're not going to grow. We're not going to get a big TV contract because the money just isn't there in Canada and no advertisers give a shit about Canada. So we're just going to have to deal with TSN, I think, because like they said, no one gives a shit.
0: No one gives a shit. That's probably a good button to put on that. All right, let's move on. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's have some fun. Let's, we we start All off right. angry, but we're going to have a little fun. So we've hit one of the slower times of the CFL offseason. that time between kind of the end of, of the big free agent frenzy and the draft in a, in a what, it was about a month and a half or so, two months. So we thought now would be a good time to kind of start breaking down the Cats roster position by position in the lead up to the start of the 2023 season. Cause believe it or not, that season's gonna be here. Before, like I think we are exactly two months to the day away from the start of the opening of training camp. Like main, not rookie camp, main camp. Two months gonna come by pretty quickly. So we are gonna start today by looking at the most important position on the field, and that is obviously the quarterbacks. What a difference a year makes, Mike. The biggest change, obviously, from a year ago is that former former Calgary Stampeder quarterback Bo Levi Mitchell is now the starting quarterback. For the Hamilton Tiger Cats. The Ticats traded for Mitchell's rights in November and signed him to a contract extension in January, making the 33 year old, two time most outstanding player the face of the Ticats franchise for at least the next three seasons. Trading for Mitchell meant that last year's starter Dane Evans needed to find a new home, and the team found him one when they traded the 29 year old to the BC Lions last month. In addition to bringing in Mitchell and trading Evans, the Ticats brought back backup quarterback Matthew Schultz on a new one year deal to be Bo Levi Mitchell's primary backup. And we'll bring back quarterback Jamie Newman for a second season with the team. The Ticats are unlikely, however, to be done acquiring quarterbacks as the team has had at least four signal callers in camp each year. So I personally, and I think you agree with this, expect the team to bring in another young quarterback to be signed sometime between now and the start of training camp, likely someone from their negotiation list. But I'm looking at what the Ticats have right now. They have a bona fide, solidified number one in Mitchell, a very capable number two in Matthew Schiltz, and a high upside developmental number three in Jamie Newman. With these three guys, are you comfortable or are you satisfied, I should say, with what the Ticats have at quarterback right now? And would you be comfortable with this being the trio that the team rolls with to start the regular season in about three months?
1: I am satisfied and I am comfortable. Uh, believe Bo- yeah. I be- Mitchell has, you know, obviously proved himself in this league. So he's a bona fide starter. The backup should be a guy that has experience. And, you know, we've seen him lead the team. And and that's exactly what he did last year. He played very well leading this offense. He, he proved that he can move the ball down the field and score touchdowns. So I'm comfortable with him as the backup. And then the third guy, Jamie Newman, I think it it should be a third guy like Jamie Newman. You know, a, a potential, um, a lot of potential in that guy. You know, a guy that needs work. But uh, if if he develops, he could be could be a star in this league potentially. So um, I'm very satisfied with this quarterback room.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of the best ones in the league. Quite honestly, I think we did a lot of work on quarterbacks this week. You and I, we uh, looking at quarterbacks from around the league. I'd peg this at either the second or third best quarterback room in the league. You look at BCs, and that's hard to beat from a experience standpoint. They have they have Dane, they have Vernon, and they have Dominic Davis who. You know he's not very good, but he's played a lot of games in this league, and he's he's got his role. And then it's kind of depending on how you feel. Like Winnipeg's only got a couple of quarterbacks right now, but you know they got the best in the game, arguably, and and Drew Brown, who's a pretty decent number two, and I'm sure they'll bring in more arms as well. And then you kind of have Hamilton, and you look at Hamilton's, and it, it's almost the perfect quarterback room. You have the veteran number one, you have. A number two, like you said, that we've we've seen him play a lot of football. We know in a pinch, if he, if he's got to come in and start, like say Mitchell goes down for a, a game or two or three, Schiltz can come in and and keep this team afloat. And then, like you said, you have that that guy in Newman, that developmental guy, someone who he's not going to challenge. I don't think either of the other two guys for the. He, he's definitely not going to challenge Bo. He's probably not going to challenge Schiltz but he's one of those guys that you keep around and you, and you develop in the hopes that one day he becomes at number two and then takes over at number one, whether or not he ever does, we don't know. But if he doesn't, that's why you bring another quarterback. Like that's why I like this team is going to have these three and then they're going to have a fourth, who's going to be on the practice roster, who they're going to get looks at. They've done that pretty much every year that I can remember. This team never really rolls with just three quarterbacks. It's usually four and with a practice roster guy. So we're going to see another guy get signed. And, and if he proves to be better than Newman, then he takes Newman's spot. Newman gets doesn't come back after next after this season. And then they sign another guy. You know what I mean? Like that third spot should be perpetually in motion for a guy who they think is going to be someone who can rise up the depth chart. Let's talk about Bo for a second. What are your expectations for him in year one as Hamilton starter? Are they are they high? Are they medium? Are they low? What do you what do you expect at a Bo in his first season in black and gold?
1: Uh they're high. They're very high. This is a guy that comes in with a lot of accolades, you know, two championships. He's got a lot of talent around him. He's got a solid offensive line as we're going into the season. Uh, the, there's not really any excuse for um, anything less than top end Bo Levi Mitchell. This guy needs to be great. He's going to have all the weapons. He's going to have the protection. So I, I, I just think that he needs to be great and he will be.
0: I'm with you. I think I, I, I'm looking at his his season this year and and hoping it's a little bit better than what we saw at a Jeremiah Mazzoli in 2018. I think about 5,000 pass yards, 30 ish touchdowns, 10 to 15 interceptions, and to be in the MOP conversation and to have the Tie Cats in the either in first place or in the hunt for first place all season long. Like I think they made this move, and and the Tie Cats have to own this. They made this move basically saying what we had last year at quarterback was not good enough and i know if you look at Mitchell's stats and Dane's stats over the last two seasons they're very similar um dane might even have been a little bit better but last year i think we saw evans regress we saw mitchell regress too but i mean how much of that was still injury related like we don't really know but they made a big splash here this guy has to be one of the top two or three quarterbacks in the league and the ticats need to be in the hunt for a championship for this to have been the right move. Don't you agree?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's championship robust for them. Yep. Um, they've been teetering on the edge of glory uh, for, for about 10 years now, it seems with uh, some blips here and there, but they've been scratching and clawing at that championship getting really close and t- it's time to, to, you know, push it over the edge and uh, get over the hump and, and grab that great cup and they have the pieces in place to do it. So if it if this thing falls apart, you know if Bo isn't great, if this team isn't great, it's going to get ugly in Tiger Town. Can he be MLP this year? Sure, why not? Do think, I, I don't do see why not. You think he will be? Do I think he will be? Yes, yes, I think he will be.
0: You think he'll win MOP this year?
1: I think he'll win MLP. I think that um, he's healthy now. Uh, he's relatively young still, and like I said, there's a lot of receivers to throw to That you got a great running back out of the backfield that he can throw to, you know, he's going to have time in the pocket. Everything's there. All, all the ingredients are there to have an MOP type season and a championship type season.
0: All right. Mike's already on board with Bo and that's, that's crazy to me. I would have thought you would have been much more measured in your expectations for him considering your past comments on, on him. But, uh, I guess he's a tiger cat now. So all's forgiven, right? Exactly. (laughs) What about the other two? Do you have any expectations for the two backups this year? Like does, does Jamie Newman become the scourge of CFL Twitter because he rushes for like 12 touchdowns on QB sneaks this year or something (laughs) like that?
1: I mean, the way that the CFL goes, it's a definite possibility. Those, those, you know, those receivers and those running backs and those quarterbacks like to get tackled at the one yard line, it (laughs) seems so. Um, Yeah, Jamie Newman could punch the ball in quite a few times. It's a possibility. And with Schiltz, I just expect him, if anything happens with Boa, I expect him to come in and uh, lead this offense and, you know, not be a major drop off when he comes in there. So that's my expectations for him.
0: Yeah, I like Matthew Schultz a lot, but I hope we don't see a lot of him this year. Unlike last year where we saw him quite a bit. I hope this year he's uh he's much more glued to the sideline than he was a season ago. But uh yeah, I'm kinda curious as to how how this quarterback room will work, given that uh Bo is an alpha guy, right? Like he's he's that I want every rep, I want every practice, I want all that, and a little bit different than what we've had the last couple of years with Mazzoli and Evans and then Evans and Schultz last year, so it'll be interesting to see. Any other Ticat quarterback things you want to discuss, or are you ready to move on?
1: No, I, I I think we're ready to go move on to the next subject.
0: Yeah, so next week, our next episode, we're going to run through, we're going to keep this going. We're going to, we're going to then go to the guy. We went to the guys who throw the ball. We're going to go to the guys who run the ball next week. We're going to talk about the running backs and fullbacks on this team. So that should be a lot of fun as well, but let's move on to some actual tie cats news. Very little of it. Uh, Again, this is the dead time of year, so post free agency, pre-draft, not a ton to talk about. But the Ticats have signed six first-year American players over the last couple of weeks. They are receiver Khalil Lewis, who was with the team in training camp in 2021, defensive lineman Niles Pinckney and TJ Johnson, linebacker Jackson Turner, and defensive backs Kenneth George Jr. and Cortez Davis. So as with most of these rookie signings, Mike, we won't get into the nitty-gritty of each player, but did any of these signings stand out to you for any reason?
1: Well, the, the two cornerbacks are interesting to me just because we have places to fill in the secondary. So Kenneth George Jr. went to Tennessee. Um, Cortez Davis went to Hawaii. Uh, not a lot of information on them, but there was the, the pickney, the uh, the linebacker. Who was it? No, it was Jackson Turner. Sorry, my bad. Um, he interested me because I was looking him up. And his scouting report, it says his strengths. He has a lot of good strengths, uh, tackling, um, bend, speed. But his weaknesses are size, and he went to a small school. So I think he's perfect for the CFL with mm-hmm. you know his size and his speed. You'll be able to cover guys in that linebacker spot. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to turn out to be... Uh, a starting linebacker in this league, but it's just interesting to me, looking at his scouting report and his weaknesses, you know, that's not a big deal in the CFL. So maybe he'll be uh, a perfect prospect for this league.
0: Sounds like a really good developmental American guy that'll play a lot of special teams if he makes the team. you know what I and, mean?
1: And he also returned kicks at North Dakota as well. so yeah, interesting
0: go. for a guy who's linebacker size. Maybe this is maybe this is one of those guys who was a linebacker in college maybe suits more of the sam's or db position Mm -hmm. up in up in canada we'll have to wait and see i'm glad you brought up the dbs because those are the ones that i am particularly paying close attention to because that is the one area of this team where there are some question marks like if you told me every other position the starters were kind of locked in stone i don't think i'd argue all that strenuously but the secondary is where they will need one if not two of these rookie american guys to kind of step up into starting roles right like Right now, I looked at the depth chart or looked at the roster, and they currently have I think it it was six. It was six defensive backs on the roster with either minimal, because I think Will Sunderland is one guy that they brought back who started one game last year, or no CFL experience. So, like, there's a really good chance that this team is going to re, you're going to have to rely on kind of a couple of these guys to make plays this season, don't you think? Like, we know there's certain positions in the secondary locked down, but. There there are some questions here and and guys like you know, you said T- Kenneth George Jr. went to Tennessee. That's a big time school. And and then of course the DBs that they already have on the roster. Like there's going to be some positions here, some possibilities for some of these guys to to play. Like we're going to see guys in the secondary that have little to no CFL experience. And I've seen that used as a as a negative against the Ticats. I, I saw a tweet that referred to this secondary that Ticats have. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant here, so, so bear with me. This, that this secondary is, and this is a direct quote, not championship caliber because they lost some veterans. They, Cario Brooks obviously left, Jamal Roll, Siante Evans are all gone from last year. But I did a little bit of research, Mike. Each of the last four Grey Cup champions, that's Calgary in 2018, the back-to-back Bombers, and the Argos last year, all started at least one rookie in their secondary in the Grey Cup. So in 2018, Calgary had Trey Roberson. In 2019, Winnipeg had the other Mike Jones and also a second-year player in Marcus Sales. In 2021, the Bombers had two rookies in Dietrich Nichols and D. Alford. And D. Alford was so good, he went down, he's now playing for the Atlanta Falcons. And then last year, the Argos had uh, uh, their wide-side corner was, um, where's his name here? Oh, uh, Tavares McFadden and Jamal Peters was a second-year guy who led the league in interceptions last season. So... When you look at Hamilton's secondary, they have the veterans, they have Day. they have Stavros, Katz, they have Richard Leonard, they just brought in a, a guy that the Stamps are very high on and JV and Elliott. They have, with, with those guys and, and the young guys, just as much of a championship secondary as any of the last four Grey Cup champions. And that's not to say that like, the Ticats the won't or can't bring in another CFL veteran, like Someone like Shaq Richardson, who was with the Argos last year, is, is a free agent. Maybe his market was depressed. He comes in on a, on a cheap deal. Who knows? But this is the trap, I think, and this is kind of where my rant's going to come in. This is the trap we always fall into at this time of year, right? Like, we watch his teams lose veterans. We do it with Calgary every year. You, you in particular do it with the Stamps. I'm not trying to pick on you, but they lose a bunch of veterans, and we go, oh, well, you know, they're replacing them with a bunch of unknowns. They're going to be bad this year. And then every year, we see these kind of diamond in the rough guys that we didn't know anything about spring up and become superstars. And that's almost, you know, finding these American guys that no one really knows about is almost as central to the CFL as the ratio and three downs, quite honestly, like think of a guy like Delvin bro. No one in Canada knew who Delvin bro was before he came to tie cats. And by the end of his first season, he was considered one of the best cover men in the CFL. And then the two homegrown guys that Tie Cats lost in free agency this year, carry Brooks and Jamal roll, they weren't household names when they signed, and now they're sought after free agents from other teams. So to me, like, the fact of the matter is this. The Cats decided to use their resources this offseason to fortify the offensive and defensive lines, and I think those are moves that both of us agree with, and because of that, they lost some talent in the secondary. Like, that's, that's going to happen. You're in a cap league. You can't have all-stars at every position. You have to prioritize where you spend money, and the Ticats prioritize spending that money. They allocated those resources. the lines and that that's perfectly fine last year they loaded up on the secondary and we were all giddy about that but what did that get them an under 500 record in a first round playoff exit so i think the strategy of solidifying left tackle with a proven commodity like joel figueroa adding a ton of talent to the defensive line is a much wiser strategy than the one that they employed last year so yes on paper Hamilton's secondary is weaker than it was maybe at this time last year but last year's secondary didn't live up to the hype. And until we see these new players, these new kids in action, I think it's incredibly premature to say that secondary isn't good enough to win a championship, especially when you look at the history and go, well, the last four Grey cup champions had all had at least one rookie or, or a rookie and a second year guy in their secondary and were able to win a championship. Why can't the Ticats do that with an established group of veterans in the middle and, and some youth on the outside it, to me, it's, it's one of, like I said, it's that trap we fall into where, Teams lose veterans, and we go, well, they must stink. And then a young guy comes up, and at the end of the season, we're going, man, how good was so-and-so when before the season we were saying, oh, he's going to be the guy they pick on. or You know what I mean? Like It just feels as if every like we should know enough by now to go, yeah, there's going to be some rookies that play. There's going to be some second-year guys with little experience that plays, but one or two of them might pop off and become something big. I just, I just wish that we would keep that in mind in March when we're talking about things that are going to happen in June to November.
1: Yeah. There's not much to add to that, but, uh, <laughs> I know I, 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 like, I, it
0: was, it was long winded. I apologize.
1: No, 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 no worries. I just, I just like to say, you know, last year we did have a championship type secondary and it didn't turn out so well for us. So and we didn't
0: even get to the uh, conference championship game. So
1: exactly. We had a terrible regular season and. And all that stuff, so I, I'm 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 with you, and I'm for the uh, philosophy change uh, along the defense.
0: Yeah, okay, I I knew you were kind of like, because every year you talk about offensive line and defensive line as you're like, mm-hmm. keys to the team. Oh, who are they going to play at left tackle? Who are they going to do? And this is the year that they go out and do that, and we know quarterback play, Canadian play, steadiness along the lines, those are the three kind of pillars of winning football. The Ticats kind of have all that if like, mm-hmm. I mean, there's some questions. Don't get me wrong. Like, can Bo stay healthy? You know, is their Canadian talent good? But I mean, to, to, to single out, oh, they're going to have two rookie ish players playing in the secondary as a reason to downgrade them and think that they're not good enough. I mean, history, like I said, I, I, I laid them out for the last four Grey cup champions. History doesn't prove that to be the case. So. We'll have to wait and see. Like, of course, these guys could be terrible, fall on their face, and the defense gets shredded because they can't cover anyone. But we won't know that until they actually play the game. So I just think that, you know, in early March, it's probably not the time to be talking about what is and isn't championship caliber. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly.
1: You know, all, right. all the other positions, we we're pretty good. So I'm I'm not going to be worried about those, you know, one or two cornerbacks right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, hey, we're going to go into the season. We're going to go into training camp, not talking about left tackle, not talking about kicker. So I don't know what we're going to do.
1: Yeah, I know. I, I, I might as well just end the podcast. Before <laughs> <starts now. laughs>
0: All right. But before we do that, let's move on. We earlier talked about the Tiger cats quarterback situation as it stands right now, but we also want to talk about quarterbacks from around the league as well and kind of how they stack up instead of going team by team and breaking it down as we did with the Tiger cats. We want to do something a little more fun. So today Mike and I are going to present to you our CFL quarterback Pyramid. The concept is simple. We have a five tier pyramid where we will place 15 of the league's quarterbacks. Mike and I have not shared our respective pyramids with each other, though logic would say that we will have some crossover in a spot or two or three or four. But there are also bound to be some differences there. And that is where the kind of the fun and the debate will arise. So before we get to our grand unveiling though, Mike, I want to ask you if there's kind of anything you learned or anything that stood out to you while you were creating your 15 player pyramid. Is there any, any interesting nuggets that you kind of gleaned from doing this project?
1: Well, I just mostly that the, you know, the, the, um, the guys on the outs, you know, the, 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 the backups that you don't really know much about who to pick between to fill in that 14th and 15th spot, um, taking a look at the backups and just you know, looking at their numbers and trying to figure out who's the best passer in the group and and all that stuff and and uh, I don't want to give too much away about my list, so we might as well just get right into it. and Then we can we can discuss. As we'll debate we go it along. from there. Yeah, yes. like so
0: for me though, like I I kind of re- learned that. QBs in the league There's some flaws with almost every quarterback in the league. Like there's uh-huh. reasons to like their game and reasons to kind of question them, which made this a p- pretty interesting project to undertake, at least for me, like outside of the top spot, like I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything here, but I'm, I feel pretty confident that our top spot will be the same player, but outside of him, there were some real questions as to where each player belonged. And I went through like a number of iterations. Like I started this, we d- we decided we were going to do this the night of our last recording And then I spent probably about 10 days tinkering with this and kind of figure out who belongs where up, up until almost like 10 minutes before we were about to record today, I I made a switch and it made it, and made a change. And, and, and we, we can talk about that when we, we unveil our lists, but, um, it, it, this wasn't easy to do, but it was a heck of a lot of fun. And I'm sure the discussion it will generate between you and I, and between us and everyone who listens will be fun as well. So like you said, let's move on, let's get into this, shall we? Let's start with kind of the bottom row and work our way up. So Mike... Who do you have in your, in your bottom tier? What does is, what is your bottom tier look like?
1: So for the bottom tier, I went with guys that I just don't think are any good. And okay. guys that, haven't, that I don't know, that haven't proven themselves in this league, haven't played enough to really get a grasp on if they're good or if they're bad. Uh, so in tier five, I have Trey Ford, um, which I don't know. I don't know. I haven't seen enough about him. Arbuckle, I don't think is good uh drew brown from winnipeg i don't know um is any good but he, he he you know he put up some pretty good numbers when he's gotten in there i think he had he, five touchdown passes two interceptions um a pretty good completion percentage so i'm kind of high on him um, he he
0: had he had uh, one start last year against bc and i think they put up like 32 but he had a really good start against um against against the lions last year when when winnipeg had wrapped everything up so You and I are kind of on the same thought process with Drew Brown.
1: And then Caleb Evans. I'm kind of, it's kind of a mixed bag. I don't know for sure, but I'm leaning towards he's not any good. So those are the four guys I have in tier five.
0: Okay. So not a ton of difference. Uh, Evans, actually, Caleb Evans didn't make my list. Um, He was on the outside looking in. So my, 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 my fifth tier is, so I also have Ford and Arbuckle. Andrew Brown but two guys that I have on there that you didn't have and I, I'm assuming one of them's not on the list and I'm assuming one of them's higher one of the guys I had was Mason Fine who's the backup quarterback in Saskatchewan started a couple games last year and I too k- went with the kind of the unknowns I'm unsure about for this, this bottom tier cuz like Trey Ford I think has some talent but eh, we haven't seen enough of him Drew Brown same thing Mason Fine same thing and Arbuckle just like he's a he's a valuable like number 2 but I, I I think he was a little overrated, but based on what he did in Calgary. And then the last guy I have in my bottom tier, and this is the one I think is going to generate some debate, Chad Kelly. I haven't seen enough of Chad Kelly to give make put him any higher. I don't care that he's the incumbent starter in Toronto now that McLeod Bethel-Thompson's gone. He has one start. He's thrown 45 passes in his career. He could just as easily fall flat on his face as he could become the next superstar in this league. So until I see more of him, I can't put him any higher than the other guys I have the other like he's to put Chad Kelly higher would essentially say he's a top ten quarterback, and I'm not ready to do that right now.
1: That's fair, that's fair. it'll be interesting fourth tier now. Yeah, so,
0: so let's move on to the fourth tier because there was there was some a lot more agreement on the fourth tier, but are on the fifth tier. I'm assuming Chad Kelly's some here somewhere here so we can get into a Chad Kelly discussion there if you'd like. but what do you got what do you got in your fourth
1: row? Fourth tier, I got Cornelius, uh, Kelly, and Shilts. Now, these are guys that have shown flashes to me of being really good. Um, Cornelius is the most out of all of them. You know, he's had the most playing time. And I and I've talked on the podcast about Cornelius before. I think that he's shown improvements as he's gone along in his career in the CFL. Um, Kelly is a guy with a ton of potential. We all know this. We know his pedigree from college and all that stuff. But, you know, we've known a lot of guys come up with with big pedigrees from big colleges and, and you know, falling flat on their faces. So anything can happen with him. But I think him coming in at the time that he did in the Grey Cup and performing well in a high-pressure situation to really bring home a championship for the Toronto Argonauts um, puts him a little bit higher on my list than yours. Uh, he did have, I believe, one game at the end of the season where he performed pretty well. You know, it might have been against backup players and, and, you know, how much you can take away from that start is questionable. Um, but that's why I have him in the fourth tier. And then Schiltz for showing, you know, last year that he can play very well in this league given an opportunity. So that's my fourth tier.
0: I thought I thought you'd have Schiltz higher. Or not not Schiltz, Cornelius, I mean. Just because I know how high you are on him. But you and I have him, same, same ranking. We both have him on this fourth tier here. Um, same same with Matthew Schultz. I also he's one of those guys like Cornelius is. I think Cornelius is the guy on this that could, if we do this like a mid season one and end of season one, he could be the guy that has the best chance of either rising or falling. If he really puts it together this year in Edmonton, I think he can he can move up this list. But if he he falters or or stays the same, I think he kind of falls his way down. Uh, the other two guys I got on here, Jake Mayer, because again, kind of. Um, he's not an unknown like he's played some games but I'm still not entirely sold on him and maybe the most controversial one because of how low I have him Cody Fajardo Cody Fajardo to me is a giant question mark going into this season I just don't I just don't know if I trust him to be a starter anymore you know what I mean like I know he's he's going to Montreal to be the starter but (sighs) I've been out on Fajardo since he had his breakout season but I'm really out on him Right now, like I I just think he had a terrible year last year. He's going into Jason Moss offense, which I just don't think suits his his style. You know what I mean? So that's why I have him in my fourth tier. So let's go to the third tier here. Who do you got there?
1: All right. In the third tier, I got guys that have shown a full season or very close to it of very good production. So I got Vernon Adams, who had a really good year in Montreal. Uh, it seems like a long time ago now, but, you know, he had a very successful year. And and he's shown flashes throughout his career that he can be really good. Uh, Jake Mayer, um, I'm with you. I don't think that he's proven himself yet, but I think that he's played enough games to show that he can be a starter in this league. Uh, and I got Dane, Dane Evans, um, once again. Played a really good season, you know, led the team to a 15-3 and three season and, you know, the best uh, year the Tigers have ever had. So he's shown that he can do it. And then I got Cody Fajardo for the same reason. MOP runner-up a couple years ago. I know that this season was kind of, nah, he only threw for 4,000 yards. But, you know, he's shown that he can be the quarterback of a team that gets to a Western final and almost makes it to a Grey cup. So that's the reason I have him in the third tier.
0: Okay. That, that, that's a fair, that's fair. I see how, how you broke down your tiers in your, in your pyramid. I can kind of understand that, that that's fair. Now we obviously know who your final four are now and looking, cause I mean, it's pretty, I mean, I think, I think that the, the, if we were to power rank them, I think the top four are pretty obvious and I figured they'd be very similar. Um, but I got three guys on my, on my third tier here. I, I agree with you about, about Adams and, and Dane. They're fully entrenched in this. And I think they're they're closer than people. Like, I think Dane's slightly better, quite honestly. So I, those guys are so closely there and, and rounding out that third tier is another guy out of the top four. The, the one guy that I have the most questions about in that, in that top four grouping is Trevor Harris. I just, he's fine. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, but there's, there's just something about his, his age. Like he's, he's, he's pushing, he's the oldest quarterback in the league. He keeps bouncing around from team to team. And I I understand that he, he ended up in, in Saskatchewan because of all the ownership problems that were happening in Montreal. And he likely stays there if that doesn't happen. But man, I just, there's just something about his game that I just don't trust, I guess is the best way to kind of put it. You know what I mean? Like, I think he's, he's good, but I don't think he's great. And I don't think he's the guy that leads a team to a championship. Whereas like the guys, the guy, the three guys that I have ahead of him, the, the, the and, and on the two tiers above him, are guys that I think singularly can change the course of, of what the franchise of what their franchise does. You know what I mean? Like I don't necessarily think at this point in his career, Trevor Harris is that guy anymore. I just, um, I don't know. I just have I, out of out of the guys left, he had the most questions to me, and I felt like was more was more deserving of being on that third tier with Evans and Adams than he was on the tier above, which is the only other place that I could have put him. I just think that there's more there's more questions to his his competency as the guy than there is everyone else that I have left.
1: Yeah, and I totally get that. Like I was I was pretty low on Trevor Harris when he was in Edmonton. Um, maybe maybe I was too harsh on him because that team around him was just total nonsense and the coaching staff was nonsense so um maybe i too put too much of the blame on him but yeah i let, you want to move on to the second tier then, then yeah yeah yeah, into, let's, yeah yeah let's
0: okay. move on to the second tier what do you got there
1: okay so i got trevor harris which is you know kind of questionable i'm kind of rethinking it right now if i'm no, being honest but, but i get it
0: i get it yeah know you know what? he's he's been in, in the first- league in, yep, in my first iteration of this list, I had him on my second tier and then I swapped him with with someone else and we'll, we'll get into that in a second.
1: He's, he's been in the league a long time. He, he has bounced around a lot. He's, he's a pretty accurate quarterback. My gripe with him over the years is that once he gets into the red zone, he seems to just like his game just seems to fall off. Um, maybe once again, maybe I'm putting the blame on him when it should be on someone else. So I'm not sure, but you know, he's, he's proven to be a solid quarterback, a dependable quarterback for the years. I think he had a really, uh, a bounce back season last year in Montreal. I thought he was pretty darn good. So yeah, that's why I have him in the second tier. Uh, he is joined by Mazzoli. Um, I think he's Mazzoli has shown enough over the years, just like Harris that, you know, he's not the, the cream of the crop. But he's 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 pretty close, um, and I think if he comes back healthy, he could be you know re- he's rightfully put in the top four um, of quarterbacks. And then I have uh, Bolivian Mitchell, and I you know I was tempted to really put him in the first tier. Well I think it'd be a little bit disingenuous of me because <clears throat> over the years I've talked about how his game has declined the past three season seasons, and I just feel like. I can't put him in the top tier because maybe he will be, you know, watching him play this season. Maybe he jumps back up there, but I just can't put him in there because of the last couple of seasons he's played.
0: Yeah. I feel like there would be a lot of calls of homerism for you. If it's like, all of a sudden it was a tie cat and Oh, he's the best quarterback in the league. It's like, he is still one of the better quarterbacks in the league, but I'm with you. Putting him, putting him in that top, top group would not have been, I, I I I couldn't do it either. I got I got Bo and, and Mazzoli in my second tier, and it was Mazzoli and Harris that I went back and forth on. Initially, I had Trevor Harris. I thought like when I first sat down it, I go, okay, number one. I mean, might as well say number one? Obviously, we both have Zach Caleros. Like, mm-hmm. duh. Yeah. Not much to discuss there. Two time MOP. I mean, there's really even if you think he's he's there's flaws in his game. There's nothing to argue with him as number one right now, is there? Like, you can't you can't possibly claim anyone else in the top spot other than him. So. Uh, but it was it was Mazzoli and Harris. I kept going back. First, I sat down. And I was like, okay, Claris was obviously number one. I feel like I have Bo firmly entrenched in that second tier. And then I had Harris. And I was like, the more I thought about it, I was like, okay, Mazzoli's thing is injuries right now. But prior to him getting hurt in 2019, he had really never been hurt before. I, I just, there's, again, and maybe this is colored by the fact that Mazzoli spent almost a decade of his career in Hamilton. There's just something I like more about him then I, I feel as if at, if they're both at, at peak performance, I think Mazzoli is a more dynamic player. Cause I think he can use his feet better than Harris. He's a, he's more interesting. Like he likes to throw the deep ball. Harris doesn't necessarily do that with any sort of consistency. And I just, I think that in the right space, Mazzoli can be one of the best court. Like we saw it in 2018 in Hamilton, like Mazzoli's highs. Harris has never met those. I know Harris played in a gray cup and he had games like, we'll bring it up till the, the day we die that 2018 East final where he has absolutely shredded the Ticats defense, but on a, on a, on an entire year basis, I don't think we've ever seen Mazzoli or we've ever seen Harris kind of hit the highs that Mazzoli did. And I just feel like even though Mazzoli's coming off, you know, three straight years where he's been hurt to some respect and he's, he's I think 34 now, like obviously he's getting up there in age. It's just something about him that I prefer over trevor harris so that was the that was the that area and my very last one i put drew brown as my last one i him and caleb evans i kept going back and forth on i couldn't decide which one and then i remembered the the lions game that i mentioned where man he came in and played really well and like we've seen caleb evans play well but he's been really maybe it's more the upside of drew brown you know what i mean like we haven't seen enough of him to to work his way out of the top fifteen versus caleb evans who we've seen some really low lows with but uh yeah to, to go back to the top of the pyramid here it was yeah it was harrison mazzoli that i had probably the big the most internal debate about where to put them uh and the same was true actually of jake Mayer and vernon adams that's like one change i made just prior to the show i had jake Mayer in the third tier and adams in the fourth and then i the more i thought about it, i was like i think i don't think evans is a tier above adams but I do think mayor is more consistent with being in that, that Taylor Cornelius here. Cause I feel like those two guys, they're the young guns this year, right? Like I, they're younger players. I know. And Chad Kelly kind of belongs that, but he, he has less experience than both of those guys. So I felt like maybe mayor and Cornelius, it's kind of like, uh, you know, the Burr in a much smaller way, like Burris and Ricky Ray, like, Oh, which one's going to be the guy in Alberta? You see it with kind of the young guys here. So th- this was a lot of fun to do though. Like, was there was there any kind of debate you had about like did you have a guy in somewhere and then changed it like obviously Caleros I think was probably you know etched in stone at number one but was there anything else that you kind of went back and forth on for yourself on on where to put guys
1: where to put <clears throat> excuse me where to put Jake Mayer uh, gave me some troubles mm-hmm. you know is he in that fourth tier where you know you haven't really you've seen some good stuff from him but you haven't seen enough but at the end of the day I feel like I felt like he played enough games to push him up to that third tier where um he's proven enough that he could be a starter in this league so um and then you know the uh the drew brown and the mason fines of the world and the caleb evans had it's a tough. tough time with that yeah. um evans i think i put evans and brown in brown because he like you said he has potential he's shown he had a really good game against bc he put up some really good numbers. Um, Evans is, has shown some really highs and lows, so it, it was tough to put him in there. With Mason Fine, I took him out because he's just like, I don't know, mediocre. Like, he just he, hasn't he, shown me anything fine. good, nothing really terrible. So I was just like, ah, nah, nah, I'd take him out.
0: He's exceptionally fine. Like, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yes. No, so, I, yeah, I, but we, it was a ton of fun, like, uh, you know, going through this. And it it was even tough, you know, trying to figure out fifteen guys to put on the list because yeah, there's only nine starters, right? So, um, but yeah, I think maybe going forward, maybe there's a, you know, pyramid of receivers or a pyramid of uh, running backs or something like that because it was a lot of fun to do.
0: I'm wondering if that's how we should kind of do the skill position players for, for the because we're gonna do running backs and then we're gonna do receivers. I'm wondering if 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 pyramiding them, tiering them, or what have you is kind of the way we should go with that to kind of, and maybe, maybe keep ourselves on, maybe we'll look back on these at mid season, you know, and then we'll look at them at the end of the season, kind of see where we stood and where, what we think now, the one guy with you that I was surprised. I th- I thought you'd have Cornelius ranked higher. Cause I know how high you are on him. And I thought that you would project that he would have, like I mm-hmm. tried to do it, like, it. Cause this was a little bit of projecting and a little bit of where I feel they are right now. You know what I mean? Like, but I, I was I was I was actually expecting us to have a very vigorous debate on ter- Taylor Cornelius because I thought when I put him on my fourth tier, I was like, oh, Mike's gonna have him. Mike's gonna have him in, in uh, at least on the third tier. I, I don't think he's gonna put him two, but he's gonna have him probably right. firmly. And when you said he was on your fourth, I was like, huh, that's kind of surprising a little bit. I was uh, I was not entirely expecting that. I thought because you've you've maintained such a such a, a high opinion of him through mm-hmm. even through his struggles, and you, you see something in him. I thought that you would you would firmly plant your flag as a Taylor Cornelius guy, and like he would be your you know non tie cats guy that you would kind of like this is the guy that I'm I'm uh, backing. maybe
1: maybe that you mentioned it maybe he does slide up to <laughs> right beside Zach Coleros in that number one spot. No, <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, I know I, that would be the expectation, right? Because I am a cornhole believer, but I just feel like you got to see more. Yeah, he, ha- he has to have that year where you know, he shows that he's a legit starting quarterback and they start winning and, you know, he puts up those big numbers. So I just have to see a little bit more from Cornelius. This is the
0: year though, right? Like they've got <laughs> yeah, that receiving year? Yep. core yep. year two with, with, uh, Chris Jones is usually a pretty good year for his teams, but if mm-hmm. he doesn't put it together this year, I think you might have be yeah. backtracking a little bit on, on your, on your cornhole love.
1: Yeah, I think so too. And, uh, You know, Chris Jones isn't going to be overly patient with him if he doesn't uh, show this year. And uh, he could be out of a job pretty quickly if he doesn't. Because, you know, in CFL terms, he's been given a pretty long leash to show. Yeah, he's had like
0: 20 starts. When I was looking up all the quarterbacks, I was like,
1: Jesus, he started more
0: than a full season in this league. Like that was like he's got more starts than Jake Mayer. That was crazy to me.
1: And it's, it's a funny thing that, you know, at the beginning of the season last year, I think he was a practice roster quarterback. So, you know, Chris Jones didn't come in being like, okay, this guy's going to be my guy. It, it happened um, naturally throughout the season. that I just got on the roster because of injuries and such, and then played pretty well. So yeah, he's been given a long leash to, to show what he has. And this is a make or break season for him.
0: Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on. Let's play a game. We're going to play all in all out. You ready? All right. The Montreal Alouettes have a new owner in Quebec billionaire Pierre-Carl Pelledeau, I believe is how you pronounce his name. I'm not sure. Uh, Pelledeau is the president and CEO of Quebecor, Inc., which owns, among many things, TVA Sports, which is a direct competitor to CSN's French language offsuit RDS. That's what we were talking about earlier. We are talking about uh, potential... Well, you know, let's put a pin in the, in the game for a second. What do you think? Do you think he mentioned during his press conference that uh, the French language rights, the media rights are up in 2025. Do you think he's going to make a play to get the French language rights for TVA Sports?
1: I, I don't see him not doing that. I mean, I don't understand why he wouldn't try to get the rights. It's his team. And that's, uh, you know, would be a big score for TVA Sports, I believe. Um, You know, I'm not familiar with their programming, what they have on there, but I'm pretty sure they don't have the Montreal Canadiens which is the big you know the big jewel in uh, in Quebec sports I don't know I don't know how that would work like it, can you get if say if TSN got the rights again could you be able to wrangle the French rights away from RDS if TSN has the rights to the English language stuff I'm not sure but I don't see why he wouldn't try and get the rights
0: well so here's what I'm thinking is we've seen these TSN contracts get extended before they're coming up with having sort of you know the fox in the hen house so to speak he's not going to rubber stamp an extension on the tsn deal if he wants to try to get rights. you know what i mean like this might be the thing that pushes tsn to actually make some changes because they know that they have a direct competitor in their midst of the owners of like well you know we can do nothing with cfl they're just going to sign but if he He's got content. You know what I mean? Like this could be Mm. like, maybe it's not a big thing and maybe we're reading too much into this, but maybe that's the possibility that having someone who has an interest outside of the TSN deal could make things a little interesting. But anyway, that's a, that's a discussion for a couple of years down the line. Anyway, he's a, he's worth almost $2 billion. And when it comes to owning and operating a CFL team, having money is really all that matters so setting aside this guy's a a bit controversial in some aspects setting aside any possible controversy that could come with because i mean for one thing he he led the Parti quebecois which is the separatist party in in quebec um Mm. you know so there's a little you know interesting wrinkles that come with a guy who's very pro quebec separation but outside of any sort of you know personal controversies that could arise are you all in or all out that this purchase of the Owls will stabilize the team for the long term?
1: I'm all in. Uh, I think that they got what they, they were looking for, right? Local ownership and a guy with a ton of money. And I know that, like you said, there's you know controversies in the past. And it is kind of ironic that a Quebec separatist would buy into the Canadian Football mm-hmm, League. Mm-hmm. But... I, I'm all in on this. I I, I think that they, they need strong local ownership. This seems like a guy that's going to go all in on you know whenever whatever he owns, whatever he's involved in. This seems like he gives all his effort. So I don't think you know they're going to be shortchanged on advertising or or anything like that. I think he's going to put his the weight of his wallet behind the Montreal Alouettes, and they're going to be a pretty successful franchise going forward. Now, saying that, I've been fooled before in uh, introductory press conferences, so maybe I'm totally off on this. But as of this moment, I am all in. Yeah, I'm all in as well. I think this
0: could be, if things go well, this could be the Alouette's version of Bob Young. This could be the local owner that cares, that puts money into the franchise, that stabilizes this team. For the decades to come, I think that that's entirely possible, and I, I think my all in is more of a, a a hope that because I don't want this to in two years come crumbling back into the CFL as a team again, and you can't find an owner, and then you start worrying about whether they're even viable anymore. So I'm gonna go with you. I'm going all in. I'm I'm going positive on this one, Mike. So that's just kind of I don't know. We'll, we'll we'll see. We'll have to wait and see, but because of the way we play the game. I'm going all in. Uh, In news, I think no one saw coming. The Toronto Argonauts brought back receiver Dontrell Inman. Inman last played with the Argos in 2013 before going on to play for six different NFL teams from 2014 to 2020. Inman will be 34 when the new season kicks off and hasn't played football since spending the 2020 NFL season with the Washington Commanders. So, Mike, are you all in or all out on Dontrell Inman making a significant impact with the Argos this season.
1: Significant. Imp- I'm I I'm all out on him making a significant impact. Uh, I don't think he's going to put up you know crazy numbers. I don't think he's going to be the guy that he was when he was in the league the first time around. Um, do I think he can con- contribute to a team? Yeah, sure. I, I think he can. A veteran presence <clears throat> brought him. You know, couldn't help if he makes a team. Then I think he can. You know, do his thing on the field and 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 contributed in a certain way but i don't think he's going to be like a number one guy and light up the league again so for that reason i'm all out i'm all out
0: as well i don't even know if he's going to make the team like he's 34 hasn't played in three years when he was in the cfl he was a good receiver but he wasn't really a a superstar like when you look back he played in 2012 and 2013 you know the argos had chad owens Ty Cats had Uh, Chris Williams, SJ green was still in the league. Like there were a lot of top tier guys and he wasn't really like, I remember him being good, but I don't remember him being a superstar. And I just don't think that he'll make a significant impact. What, like if he makes a team, he's probably a, you know, 40 catch 553 touchdown guy. And that's just, I mean, at that point, why not bring in someone who's 10 years younger to try to build them into something, as opposed, like this, just felt like a weird signing to me. Like, of of all the of all the old players that the Argos could have plucked back, it just it really didn't make a ton of sense to me that they brought him back. So, I'm I'm all out on this. Uh, NFL free agency Mike is about to open, and much like the CFL, they too have a legal tampering window where teams can talk to prospective free agents. The NFL's window, however is just two days versus the seven days that CFL teams are allowed to discuss deals with pending free agents. So Mike, are you all in or all out on the CFL should shorten their tampering window to two days like the NFL?
1: I'm all in. I think that uh, a week is a little too long. I think two days would be just the right amount of time. Because I don't think you need that much time to talk to the players you want to talk to. So uh, two days. Two days seems like a long enough time for me.
0: Yeah, I'm all in on this as well. I think the week, the week ahead of free agency now is basically free agency. Yeah. Because we get all the the breaking news of guys who have agreed to terms, and then by Friday of, you know, the end of the the end of that week, we basically know where everyone's going to go, and we're just kind of waiting to get official word three or four days later. So, I feel like the tampering window has been a really good thing because I think it makes the beginning of free agency much more exciting, but I don't think it needs to be a week. Maybe two days is a little too short. Like maybe, maybe three or four days might be better, but I would be all, if the CFL came out and said we're doing, they can talk to him on the Saturday and Sunday ahead of, and no one can talk on Monday. You know what I mean? And then free opens on Tuesday. I'd be all for it. I, I, I like what the NFL does. I, I like the tampering window itself. I think just uh, shortening it wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing. And lastly, Mike, we need to talk about your favorite subject, that is CFL expansion to Atlantic Canada. A report came out last week from Paul Hollingsworth of CTV News that CFL executives met with representatives last Monday night to explore the possibility of building a long-term pop-up stadium at St. Mary's University in Halifax, which is where this year's TD Atlantic game will be held, with the idea being that it could be a temporary home for a CFL team located in the region. I know you hate this subject. And one of the things you have always said is there is no stadium, no desire to build a stadium for a CFL team in Atlantic Canada and no money to do so. So we should all just stop talking about it. But this year feels like the first real traction we have had on a solution to the stadium problem. Since we attended that Atlantic schooners announcement back in 2018 at the Grey cup in Edmonton, who almost five years ago feels like forever. And also feels like it was just yesterday. So Mike, with all this new information, are you all in or all out that a CFL that that the CFL will have a tenth team located in Atlantic Canada before the end of the decade?
1: Well, I'm all in on the idea. I'm not sure if I'm all in on the that they will have a team for sure, but uh, I'll say this: this is the only way it's going to happen, right? Um, no one's putting in the on the East Coast. The government's not going to spend you know 200 million dollars to build a stadium. This is the way to go—a pop-up stadium. Maybe, you know, I don't know. Maybe twenty million is too much for the government in Halifax or or Nova Scotia. I'm not sure, but this is the only logical way you're going to get it done. So I'm all in on the idea. And if, say, if this works, right? Theoretically, you could expand to many different places in Canada if you have a stadium that costs, you know, a low amount of money, such as you know, twenty million dollars. You know, you could you could expand different places in Ontario and all that stuff. Because the only reason we don't expand is because we don't have suitable stadiums that will make a you know, not not a lot of teams make a profit in the CFL, but maybe even get close to a profit or break even. My only question is, you know, a, a temporary or a, a pop-up stadium that's that's full time. Like I, I read that article and it said maybe seven to ten years and then you but then what, right? After the seven to ten years, then what? Are they going to put in money to make it better? Like, we're just delaying paying money for a real stadium? Because they're not going to want to put in money. I don't care if it's sold out every single game. They are not going to want to put in money to this thing. They just don't want to spend money. Um, So that's my only issue with it. But at the moment, I'm all in on the idea.
0: Wow, I really thought you'd be all out. I thought you'd be you poo poo this. I'm all in as well. And here's here's what I'll say to your your we're seven to ten year thing. If after ten years it's proven to be viable, there's also a soccer team there in Halifax, and I do wonder if there's a partnership to be had there. Where in a decade after this has worked and they've shown, oh, people do want to go to these things. If then you collaborate with the soccer franchise and maybe that's how you get the ball rolling on a multi purpose full-time stadium. I know at like the government putting in money, I, I feel as if that's probably not going to happen, but these guys that own these teams have money. And I feel as if at some point I, like, I'm happy that the, that the government's out East are saying, we're not going to spend $200 million on the stadium. Like as happy as I am with Tim Horton's field, like you kind of look at it and it's like, man, it, it is kind of a a money pit. Like it didn't, I don't know if it's necessarily ever going to pay for itself. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you know, you get a gray cup, and that does bring a lot of economic impact to a region. And I think that a gray cup out in, in Halifax, as cold as it will be because of, you know, being on the ocean, that would probably be a, like the first one would be a huge success. Like you'd get people going who weren't even going to go to the games just because it's like, Oh, i head to Halifax for four days, even if it's in November, because that's where everyone's going. You know what I mean? Like, well, I think a good litmus test will be how well this gray cup in Hamilton does this year. Obviously, they had the one in 2021, but this one's a real Grey Cup festival. It'll be interesting to see what the economic impact of having the Grey Cup here, and if that, because because that's the whole thing, right? Like, you get a Grey Cup, that's that's the, the 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 dream of of a CFL owner. Is you get that, that sets you up, and you're, pardon me, kind of good to go. I, I think that there's the possibility that they they team up with the Wanderers in in five to ten years and you make kind of a Tim Hortons field because Tim Hortons field only costs about 150. I know I say only 150, but, and there were obviously, you know, problems with the stadium as well, but I think, you know, forge plays there and yeah, it's not as cozy as the wanderers ground is right now in Halifax, which is also a pop-up stadium. I mean, uh, what was it? Uh, Empire stadium in BC when they were doing renovations on BC place, so the lines play there and everyone raved about like, Oh, this feels so like, like a newish old. Right. So I, I think it could work. Um, and I think once you prove to be a viable entity, I think then people are more willing to to put money down, whether it be the government or other private interests. Once you've proven that you can be successful, people are ready to kind of invest in that thing. Like we just saw here in Hamilton, Stelco finally invested in their part ownership in the Ticats. Who's to say a, a big a big time industry? You know, McCain's, Cavendish, one of those places out there that have boatloads of money. Couldn't see uh, the Atlantic Schooners work in, in five, six years and go, oh, you know what? We're going to we want to stake in this. And then. Once that ball gets rolling, you, you kind of never know, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. I, I, I just wonder about the guys that were going to own these scooters. Mm-hmm. Like, in the, like I, I think they're out. I don't yeah, think they're they, interested they anymore. Be but, but, like you said, there is, you know, McCain and there's some big companies out there that have a lot of money that, you know. We'll see. We'll see. I, I think you just, you, you go for it. You put it out there. If it falls apart, then so be it. You know? You know what I mean? Like, yep. you, they, they've been talking about this for 40 years. You gotta try it. You gotta do what you gotta do. My worries about the seven to ten year thing uh, once the stadium starts, and and also fans are picky these days. Okay, Mm -hmm. they have the Rough Riders have a beautiful stadium there, and all I see is complaining about we don't get presents from like fans are whiny little babies. Yeah, they you know buying tickets to a football game and going watch a football game isn't enough for them anymore they have to have presents they have to be blown as they're walking to their seat they have to be <laughs> all this stuff like people are bitches and they want to whine and i don't know you know is is having porta potties for for restrooms in a pop-up stadium gonna be good enough are they gonna be able to get a, a great like are you gonna have a great cup in a 20,000-seat stadium that's a pop-up that has no proper washrooms and, and all amenities and all that stuff. So go for it. Do it. But I have my questions. That's all.
0: I don't disagree with you on a lot of that. The thing I'll say about fan complaining, though, is you see that online? That's a small percentage, honestly, of people. Like, that's fair. That's fair. I think that's, that's it. But, but, but you're not wrong. I, I I see it all the time, with people complaining about not getting where are season seat holder gifts, and they used to give these out. and And I get that because I'm, I'm a 10 plus year tie season seat holder. And I used to get this really cool package and now I just get, here are your digital tickets and, and, and that's it. And like, for me, that's enough because it's like, I I don't like, yeah. Okay. The gifts were nice, but like, for the most part, they were like coupons to places I never went. So it wasn't really, but I guess, I guess it's the idea of you get something, but it's like, if I get something that I'm not going to use, what's the point? Um, I do miss physical tickets. Just for the sake of, like, they used to print at like, players on them or do cool graphics on them. And those are something that, like, I've kept all my old tickets and hope to one day, once I have a big enough room, like, display mm-hmm. them in some way. But
1: at the end of the day, like, it's, I pay my money to go watch a football game. And and I get if it. like the product isn't there and the team isn't performing. The, the fans have yeah. a right to complain. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, yeah, I just see well, that. Well, here's, like, here's uh, the
0: thing. Would fans only complain when their team doesn't win. Like you mentioned the Riders fans, if their team had won three of the last eight Grey Cups, you wouldn't hear about people complaining about getting gifts as a season right. seat hole. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's true. Like you that's don't true. hear a lot of complaining from from Bombers fans about stuff like that right now.
1: Uh, and I will say, Halifax does seem to be a really strong sports team. They support their lacrosse uh, <clears throat> lacrosse team that they have. They support the Wanderers and the the Wanderers
0: sell out, man. Like it's only six thousand seats in that stadium, but they sell out quite frequently. Like they,
1: there's, you're right. There's a big sports. Junior hockey does really well there. Like, yep. I just saw they. had – I think they had the final eight in uh, they did Canadian. For, for Canadian, yep. Canadian basketball, and I think they sold out. They did. I don't know if they sold out, but they did really well in the ticket selling for Yeah, they sold over forty thousand tickets for the weekend. In Canada. Yeah. Nobody goes to watch university sports in Canada, not even hockey. So for them to to do really well with the basketball there is, is a sign to me that they will support a CFL franchise.
0: Well, and I'm with you with the like just do it. Put it th- If it fails, I mean we've yeah, it doesn't look good when a team folds or a team, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that doesn't look great, but at the same time, like you said, we've been talking about this for four bloody decades. Just go do it. If it doesn't work, you can at least say you tried. Yep. And yeah, okay, it's not the greatest thing in the world for. But I mean, look at what the NHL has right now with the uh, with the Coyotes. They're playing in a 5,000 seat university stadium that, and no one gives a crap about them. You know what I mean? But it, does that has that has that Tarnish the NHL brand in Canada, not in the least. No one cares, and it'll be the same thing. Like, yeah, okay, people. Oh, it's CFL team fold, but but those are the same people who don't oh. care anyway, and they probably work for TSN. So, <laughs> right, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. So that's what you call a callback. Yes, sir. Good job. So, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. Make it happen. See what happens, and then go from there. Um, and, just, and then me I and you, me and you, we, we make this pledge
0: now. Me and you. First high cats game in, in Atlantic, Canada in Halifax, where they play the schooners. Me and you side by side. We're both gonna go out there. Whether you have to fly from Edmonton, I gotta fly from Hamilton. We're gonna sit there, we're gonna watch the game side by side together for the first high cats game in Halifax. What do you say?
1: Yeah, I'm i I'm down with that. There's no, no <laughs> Hopefully not uh,
0: before we die.
1: <laughs> yeah, and hopefully it's it's like uh, It's a a summer game or an early-in-the-fall game because it's beautiful out there in that time of year.
0: Yeah, I don't really want to be sitting outside in a pop-up stadium on metal bleachers in in late October in Halifax, but I'll do it if I got to. Anyway, that was Pods for this week. I'm Josh Smith.
1: And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw.
0: Eat them raw.